you think Christianity is about anything other than Jesus, let me just set you straight this morning. If you think it's about your performance, it's not about that. Just the, the, the idea here is so simple, truly. Just give your life to Jesus and let it be his. It's really that simple. Stop striving for greatness apart from him. Stop writing the story of your life without him. Stop trying to fix your brokenness, which we all have, apart from him. Stop even being a Christian. Just give your life to Jesus. Okay? And so, just to catch you up on, on this, if this is your first Sunday with us as we go through this epic story, it's, it's an epic story that's all about Jesus. So, what I want us to do is search for him in our Bibles this morning like we've been doing. Um, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, I encourage you to do that next week. We have a little bookstore where we have some available. You can purchase them at cost. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Um, But if for some reason you didn't bring one this week, you'll find it on the inside of your notes there, okay? Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Let me read it. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, when I read this, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is Dubai, the city of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've seen pictures. Since I first learned about this city, I've wanted to visit. Uh, Dubai is the city with the tallest building in the world right now. It's hands down, I would say, the most amazing urban playground that the world has ever seen. It makes Las Vegas look like an Amish neighborhood, okay? This is the the city that built the Palms, which is uh, a set of islands engineered out of the ocean uh, where people can have beachfront property no matter where they live. Uh, This incredible island getaway. And then because they like to one-up themselves, they went on to build the World, which is an island paradise in the middle of the ocean designed to look like the world. They have an indoor ski resort where you can go downhill snow skiing in the desert, and the world's only supposedly seven-star hotel, which you've probably seen it. It's that one that looks like a sail uh, silhouetted against the ocean, okay? Dubai is home to some of the most incredible feats of engineering that the modern world has ever seen. Uh, A playground for the fabulously wealthy built from trillions of dollars of oil revenue, literally out of the Arabian desert, built up from the sand, okay? But within Dubai, it's the Burj Khalifa, Khalifa, sorry, is the building that dominates the skyline over 2,700 feet tall. 
163 stories. It's over half a mile tall and almost twice the height of the Sears Tower in Chicago, if you've ever been there. Yeah, which is like mind-numbingly large, okay? And I was going to put some pictures up, but I didn't. Forgive me. Go home and Google it at some point. Um, it's an absolutely gorgeous building, catering to the upper echelon of the world's richest people, millionaires, billionaires, etc. Truly the, the, the most amazing architectural representation of all of the magnificence that man has achieved. And the pictures are stunning. Now, by contrast, the Tower of Babel, I'm sure, was probably very unimpressive considering the construction techniques available in 5000 BC, okay? I mean, really, without indoor plumbing, how impressive can a huge tower be? Because if you're at 163 <laughs> stories up and you gotta go all the way down to get to the outhouse, that's, that's not gonna be cool after a while. You get the picture. Uh, laughs aside, the idea is essentially the same. Uh, here it is. Man says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And I find it fascinating that when, man, or when God creates man in his image at the beginning of our story in Genesis, this glorious crowning of his achievement, of his creation, he says, God says in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image. And this is the very same phrase that's here used in Genesis 11 by man to discuss their plans to create something that will take glory from God and give it to man. Okay, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city with its tower in the, uh, I'm sorry, and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And the difference between God's creating and man's creating really couldn't be more stark if these two phrases were side by side. And I think I actually put them side by side in your notes for you. God creates man who is glorious so that man can give glory to God. And man creates a city that is glorious so that man can give glory to himself. Do you see the difference there? The creation worshiping the creation rather than the creator, which has been a theme in our epic story the last couple of weeks. Now, I think there's two things that we learn about humanity from this story and two things essentially that we learn about, or two, two ways in which this story points us back to Jesus. And that's how I want to spend our time here this morning. The first thing we learn about humans is how unbelievably prideful and defiant they are in the face of God. If we read Genesis 10, we see the, the generations of Noah that have come and gone since the flood. And it may appear to be a long time, uh, hundreds of years, okay? It may appear to be a long time so that the details of that story have been lost from one generation to the next before we get to the story of Babel or Babel. But the truth is that in this period in history, uh, the history of mankind, there was no written, recorded language. Okay? People didn't write down uh, stories on post-it notes or on their iPhone notes. Right? They didn't keep it in a library. None of that was around. Uh, if they had a stone tablet, they were fortunate and educated. Okay? So uh, they didn't save these ideas in, in any sort of written history. People told stories to preserve the histories of their families, 
They told stories for entertainment. And they also told stories to make sure that subsequent generations understood and could learn from the experience of the previous generations. Okay? This is what we call an oral tradition which we are quickly, quickly losing in the US or in the world, because technology does it all for us. I don't need to know that information because I can just Google it anytime. Okay? We have a written tradition. They had an oral tradition. For example, the entire book of the Iliad and the Odyssey, the entire books, I should say, of the Iliad and the Odyssey were originally memorized and told as a story. Uh, I can hardly remember my phone number. The Iliad, I pulled it off my shelf just to look. It's actually the, the shorter of the two books, 500 pages long. Okay? So they would have it memorized to sit around the fire and tell the story. Okay? So what this means is there's not a chance in the world that the people who come to this conclusion to build this tower, to declare the glory of mankind, there's not a chance in the world that they were ignorant of God's judgment on a world that had turned its back on him in defiant pursuit of sin. It would have been known to them. And I think even the phrase, let us make, that they say that echoes so closely the creation narrative in the beginning when God creates man. I think it's intended to remind us that this construction project was defiant and prideful. It was man assuming the position of God, once again, to say, let us create in our image for our glory. And we're not really that different, are we, when it comes to, to pride and defiance? Uh, I remember not too long ago having conversation with a friend, and he called himself a Christian, and he was living in sin. He knew better. Uh, he, he told me he was living in sin, and he followed it up by telling me in our conversation he didn't really care. And he wasn't going to stop. He knew it was wrong. He knew that as a Christian, he shouldn't be engaging in this behavior. And he looked at me across the table and said, I don't really care. Okay? Which is a very prideful and defiant stance to take before God, isn't it? If you don't know who God is, that's understandable. But if you call yourself a Christian and you know the God of the Bible, that is some serious pride and defiance in the face of God. And it would be easy for us to judge this, but search your own heart. And you're going to find traces of the same kind of behavior, aren't you? I mean, none of us are perfect. We're all dysfunctional, myself included. You know, you, maybe you have a stance in an argument against your spouse that you refuse to give up, even though the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do so. Or maybe a behavior that you know is wrong because it makes you feel terrible, but you just keep doing it again and again anyway. Or an immoral act may be committed against your employer that God forbids, but you justify because they're a mega corporation and they're immoral anyway, so it's okay. Right? Maybe it's something like that. I mean, search your heart, search your life, and I think you'll probably find somewhere in there that you too have some prideful defiance before the face of God. Because in reality, we're not all that different from these people. And before I move on to, to kind of the second thing we learn about humans, I want to just quickly say, as we go through this epic story, as we go through this series, we're, we're going to meet some amazingly regular human beings. And, and by that, I mean these people are not superstars. Sometimes we look at the people of Scripture, David and Paul and, and Solomon even, 
and Abraham and Moses, and we look at these people and we think, these are superstars. I could never be like these people. But the reality of it is they're just dysfunctional people like you and me. And I love how the Bible records that. It doesn't leave out the dysfunction of these rock stars of Christianity. Okay? So let's not be too hasty to judge because in truth, when it really comes down to it, we're, we're very much like these people. Prideful and defiant. And thank God for grace. Thank God for grace that is extended to us even in the midst of our pride and defiance. Okay, the second thing that I want us to learn about people is that people are actually searching for God. I think sometimes we as Christians take this stance that it's, it's us against the pagans. Okay? You know, we're the only ones who care about God and everyone else is just out for their own glory and, and, and that's it. But I think this story reveals a pretty fascinating reality about the fall. Man was created to be with God. And because of sin, man has been separated from God. But it still remains in the hearts of humankind to seek out God. Okay, we were created to desire him and worship him and be amazed at his glory. It is in our DNA to desire to know who God is. And because that is a part of our nature, because God created us for that purpose, we are always seeking God. And sometimes it, it may look very strange, it may look very secular, but ultimately at the heart of man's ambition to build a tower into the heavens is our God-given desire to be with God. This is not the way that God intended it to be, and deep down we know it. And I love this piece to this story because it, it tells us and it reminds us that while God is active in the world seeking to harvest the souls of those who love him, he is seeking those people out. The world is also full of people who are looking for God, but don't even really know it a lot of times. They're looking for answers to big questions. They're guessing or they're looking in the wrong place when Scripture reveals that it's found in Jesus Christ. And so the, the neighbor you have that you've just begun to build a relationship with, who you think is very much a heathen, she's searching for Jesus. The coworker you have who's slowly becoming a friend, whose life is screwed up, they're looking for Jesus. The family member that, that seems hopeless, they too desire intimacy with God in their heart of hearts. They just don't necessarily know it yet. Every single person on this planet is looking for God because God created us to know him. And let me tell you, we will never be satisfied apart from him. We will never be satisfied until we meet God. We will strive and we will search and we will come up empty at every single turn until it's Jesus who fills that void. Okay, so hear me out in this. As you engage in evangelism, you know, sometimes I feel like, man, I have to know everything about the Bible so that I can do great apologetics and prove the truth of Scripture to people who are doubters. Okay, that's a heavy burden to bear. As you do evangelism, as you try and share the love of Jesus with people, I want you to just remember these two things. First, God is already after their heart. He's already pursuing them. He's been wildly pursuing them since the dawn of time. 
way before you ever even had a chance to share Christ with them, God was pursuing them, okay? And number two, they were created to know God. And there is a very good chance that if you show them Jesus, truly show them Jesus, their hearts will find what they've been looking for in him, just like yours found what it was looking for in Christ. So don't be discouraged. Press on. Share the word. It's not up to you to save people. It's up to God. But keep in mind that the deck has been powerfully stacked in your favor. Okay? And, and I want to encourage you guys, help these people see that God is available to them. Now this leads me to the two ways in which our story points to Jesus. Okay? The first is a very simple truth that I think should remind you of the importance of your job to take Jesus to people who are looking for him. And it's this. God cannot be found in the heavens. He cannot be found at the top of a tall tower. He can't be found at the end of a microscope or the end of a telescope. He cannot be found inside of yourself if you search deep enough. God cannot be found on any human terms whatsoever. The only way, or I should say, God doesn't even exist in any plane of reality in which humans exist that we could stumble upon him. It's just not like that. The only way for God to be known by humans is through Jesus. And Jesus said, in no uncertain terms, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. That's John 14, 6. And this is where the grace of God enters into our story. God knew that no matter how high humankind built their tower, they would not find God in the heavens. He's not on the 163rd floor of the Burj Khalifa, okay? I mean, he is in a sense. But if you go there, you're not going to have some divine revelation and see God there, okay? Any more than you could here. And it, should God allow the human race to live for another 50,000 years, my guess is at some point in there, we would conquer all there is to know about physics and allow us, that would allow us to do faster than light travel. And we could cruise the entire universe from end to end, and we would never stumble upon the throne of God. Because this is not the world in which he lives in his entirety. And God, in his grace and kindness, however, he wants to be found. He wants to be found. So he solved our profound problem for us by becoming a human being, by stepping into this reality. He stepped down into the story because he knew that we could not step up into glory. And by his grace, through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God provided a way for us to find him once again a way for us to enter into his presence the way that it was always meant to be from the beginning of our creation story. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God, but you want to know God, look no further. This is it right here. This is why God brought you here this morning. Jesus has come so that your questions about who God is can be answered, so that you can know God. Because Jesus is, in fact, God himself. And he died for your sins so that you could be reunited with God. So that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for those sins. He did it for you. Okay, but I, I wanted to throw that in there, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, okay? Because that part of the story comes later. The part where Jesus comes. We're going to get there. 
But since I'm already sort of spoiling the ending of the story at the beginning, I want to continue and show you one final thing that this story reveals about uh, Jesus. And it's the second truth about how our story ultimately points to him. In this tale of Babel, God divides humankind. He confuses their speech, so they're forced to create separate tribes and nations and go their own way. They're frustrated and befuddled by the fact that they can no longer communicate, and so they disperse. And he creates a myriad of different tongues so that mankind can no longer be united. But our God is a God of unity. He's unified in his triune nature, and he's not a God of chaos and disorder. Okay? And his intention in dispersing and dividing the nations of mankind, it was never meant to be permanent. He always intended to unify their worship once again through Jesus so that at the end of all things, mankind would cry out once again with one unified voice from many tribes and tongues and nations, glory to Jesus. Listen to Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. I couldn't put it all in your notes, but if you want to turn here in your Bible, you can. I put some of it in there. And it's lengthy, so hang with me. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now our God is not a God of strife, discord and division. He is a God of perfect unity. And where he intervened in Genesis chapter 11 to, to cause confusion in the lives of men when their hearts were turned to idolatrous self-worship, 
God always intended to undo, to unify once again in the song of the Lamb. Isn't that a brilliant and beautiful picture? That beautiful song of worship sung in the language of every tribe and every tongue and every nation by every man and every creature in all of creation. The unified song of worship to him who is truly worthy of praise. And this is the epic song that extols the glory of him. Him who created, he who suffered and died and rose again to redeem his beloved people. And the song that says it all so simply that it's all about Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And you know where this story ends? Revelation 21 tells the story of a city called the New Jerusalem where mankind no longer seeks to make a name for itself, not a city like Babel that they built for their own glory, but a city outdoing even the splendor of Dubai, where mankind doesn't gather around a tower to worship himself, but where mankind gathers around God to worship him who is worthy and give glory and praise to him for being the redeemer of the epic story. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that this story ends in that moment of praise. A city where you sit on a throne where there is no need of even the sun in its glory because your glory shines so bright that it lights all of creation. And God, we long for that day and we look forward to that day. And Lord, I pray for any people in this room who still don't know your son Jesus, who still don't know that he came to bridge the distance between us and you, who still don't know that he died on the cross to redeem them of their sins. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts and do what only you can do and save them. Draw them to yourself. And God, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would not be prideful and defiant in the face of God, but that we would be humble and repentant. And I pray that our hearts and our eyes, our souls would not be turned to self-worship, but to worship of you for who you are and what you've done. And we praise you, God, for your goodness in this story. Amen.